Welcome back to the Forward Podcast. I'm Lance, your host. Every week. Has anybody else gotten addicted to playing HQ, the HQD? It's like a whole thing. It, first of all, well, it's a whole thing for my family. We play like every night, 8 o'clock Central Time every night. The whole family grabs their phone or their device and is playing this game. By the way, it it's like, I've only made it. Like the farthest I've made, it, I think it's like five questions. It seems like question number five is always like this one where they're like, okay, we're going to get rid of all you posers and then go on to, you know, questions 12, which I don't know how anybody can answer all those questions. But if you haven't checked it out, check it out. Um, hey, before I get to my guest this week, Tom Torkelson, super fascinating guy, uh, awesome conversation about um, his thoughts on education the launch and the birth and the um, really the success of Idea School. Um, before I get to that, I just wanted to say thank you to all the listeners and viewers uh, for um, for your attitude and your open mind regarding Mia Khalifa. I know that some of you were probably curious about um, the two of us together. Um, I hope the conversation didn't disappoint. Certainly the feedback that we got into the inbox um, was very, very positive as well. We got, um, Mia, if you're listening, we have quite a few offers of people that would like to go on dates, one of which submitted his W-2 and photos and a lot of other things. Um, pretty funny. But uh, yeah, just thanks for uh, thanks for keeping an open mind and, 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 um, and giving it a shot. Uh, right quick, also, 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 um, our kits from the 24 hours in the old Pueblo, like we did last year, we're going to keep them on sale for just two weeks. They go off sale March 9th. Super cool kit designed by James Selman, produced by Hinkapi Sports. Go to we do shop, W-E-D-U, shop.com. And again, we will not sell them again after March 9th. So go now. Uh, all right, let's get to Tom Torkelson. I met Tom actually via my fiance Anna Hansen, who is on the regional board of the Idea School here in Austin. Um, um, you know, your your fiance, girlfriend, wife goes on a board. You're like, oh, okay, well, <laughs> let me know when the gala is, and and so that's kind of the way it went until I showed up and started to hear the stories of the origin of uh, this very special charter school. And really, all just uh, all due to one man from the beginning. Um, obviously, has a great team around him now, but the numbers don't lie, right? So you take students in very uh, impoverished uh, minority, you know, mainly minority communities, um, and give them an incredible education. They are now now that you know they've they've been around long enough. They have high school graduating classes every year. They're literally get get a load of this, okay? They are batting a thousand when it comes to their graduates going on to university. Think about that. What high school in America can say that every single one of our kids that graduates in May is going to college? I, I don't know any, um, but but Idea School can say that. And furthermore, a lot of them go off to Ivy League schools. So... Um, Tom's a hero of mine. This one was cool also, too, and you'll see if you're able to watch it on YouTube or Facebook. We did a lot of B-roll at a tour of one of the idea schools here in the Austin area. Uh, so you'll get, a, you'll get a sense for the, um, for the look and the feel uh, of the school and, uh, and see some of the students, talk to some of the students. Um, but I, look, I loved the conversation. I was a terrible student. I'll be the first to admit. Um, I probably could have used a little time in an idea school. Uh, when I was growing up. But uh, thanks for tuning in. Thank you to Tom Torkelson for coming on the show. Um, and uh, oh, by the way, Tom, we'll see you at the Texas 100 in April. All right, guys, talk to you next week. Any questions, comments, concerns, send us an email, theforward at wedo.team. Out. Tom, thanks for being here. Yeah, man, thanks for having me. I, you know, I I got to know you, for the listener who doesn't know how I got to know you, I got to know you via Anna, 
who is on the regional board of Idea Public School. And so I met you at some of the events and had gone to plenty of events. And I got to tell you, there's some of the most inspirational stories that I've, you know, we go to events all the time, right? But whether or not they move you or not, um, not nothing really quite moves me like the Idea School does. No, thanks. I appreciate that. And but for you, I, I just, I, I can't, I got to get my mind around growing up in Ohio, going to Georgetown, and ending up in McAllen, Texas. Can you help me with that? Yeah, and I mean, nobody just ends up in McAllen, Texas by mistake, right? You're not right. just passing through McAllen. But I, was I, just, ha I had to look it up where it was. Yeah, I mean, that, well, you know, I was told I was going to the Rio Grande Valley, so I got out a map, and I'm trying to find Rio Grande Valley in a map. Mm -hmm. If you're in Texas, you know the Rio Grande Valley is the border, but I wasn't from Texas. Mm. So um, I couldn't find the place in a map, and I'm like, you know, I'm a senior at Georgetown. I'm moving to a place I can't even find in a map. Um, I thought this is not quite how I thought my career, you know, from an elite university was in a... <laughs> What's going to sure. start? Right. But, um, you know, I just, my senior year at Georgetown, I couldn't find anything that was really, you know, inspiring me or exciting me. And um, I joined this program called Teach for America. And then the program was only, you know, seven, eight years old. Now it's been around for 25, 26 years. But uh, the whole idea, Wendy Kopp founded Teach for America. And she said, you know, instead of people joining the Peace Corps and going mm -hmm. abroad, what if we got some of this talent mm -hmm. to, to stay right here in the U.S. And her idea was to get leaders who were going to be, you know, business leaders, political leaders, you know, you name it. She wanted them to first have an experience where they had taught, where they had taught in inner city mm -hmm. or rural low-income schools because she thought we're never going to change the U.S. unless people actually understand what it takes to make a difference right. in, in these communities. But you wanted to be a teacher anyways, or no? No, I was um, I wow. was I was gonna do Teach for America and then, you know, go back and get my MBA or go to law school and then you know work on Capitol Hill or something generic like that. Huh. And then life got in the way. Yeah, so I ended up teaching. <laughs> this amazing idea got in the way. I ended up uh, teaching fourth grade in Donna, Texas, um, and you know nine ten year old students, and it was pretty shocking. I mean, here we are, U.S. school system. Um, kids who were born in the U.S. who have been in American schools their entire life, and a lot of them, you know, can't speak a word of English. And we've got nine-year-olds who are your already, class couldn't speak English. Kids, kids in my class, kids across the hall. Um, I mean, obviously, some of them could, but I, I thought, you know, how do we have a school system in this country that is doing such a horrible job of educating, mm. um, you know, our young people? And kind of the crazy thing about the Valley is, um, well, two things. One. The first and third poorest counties in the U.S., um, Hidalgo and Cameron County, they're in the Rio Grande Valley. But then the second stat is that um, every, every year you look at the fastest growing places in the country and McAllen, Brownsville, you know, the Valley region, it's always in the <laughs> top two, top three, top four. So that's a bad combination, you know, sure. high poverty and high growth without really high educational outcomes. So I <laughs> thought... Um, that man there's there's we can do better than this i'm like our, our our country the united states of america we can do better by these kids um but i didn't quite know how to do it and then um well you were only but you were 20 24 years old yeah 24 years old and um i you know i'm sure everybody's had a job where they're looking around and they're saying man i could do better than these guys right but that's sort of that's how i felt about the school i was at i thought you know i don't know if i can start an amazing school but i can do better than this so I wrote a little note to Governor Bush and said, hey, I would, I would love it if you'd give me a chance to start the school. And um, his people at the state education agency got back to me, and they said, we think you got a really good plan. But hang on a second. I mean, he must, they must get thousands of letters every week. Yeah, they get a process. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm simplifying you know somebody or bit. you just sent it to No, there, there's, um, I, I actually wrote the letter to the state education agency, mm -hmm. which, you know, he's in charge of because he's the governor. And... Um, they have this process every year. You can apply for permission to open up what's called a, a, called a charter school. Mm -hmm. And Governor Bush, uh, when he was governor, he invented that legislation back in the late 90s. And I think there had been about four or five years with the charter schools when I came around. And there were a couple that had already been up and running. And I visited those schools, and I thought, I could definitely do this. Hmm. So um, I asked the state of Texas for permission, and they said yes. And it's a pretty basic guarantee. They say, we will pay the tuition for your students and you have to deliver on what you promise you're going to deliver. And I said, well, we're going to 
get every single one of our students into college and off to college. Mm. And, um, you know, supposedly the state is going to hold you accountable to that. Now, the bad thing is there's a lot of people who operate charters who don't do what they say they're going to do and the state doesn't come and close them down, which they should, but that's like a whole other podcast. Right. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so we started the, this little school on the second floor of the First Baptist Church in downtown so Donna, that was Texas. The I was going to say, you have to have a, a schoolhouse. Yeah, we, we rented space in the Baptist Church and with about 150 kids. And um, we told parents, and, and, and you know, look, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm 24 years old. Right. I'm probably not inspiring a lot of confidence in these parents. And we're in this Largely old, Hispanic. All Hispanic. 100% Hispanic. Okay. About 98% of our students then were, were from low-income families. And I said, well, I'm going to get your kids to college, but this is the bargain. You're going to come to 5 o'clock every day. You're going to come on Saturday. You're going to give up most of your summer. And um, it, it was quite a sales pitch, you know. I'm sure these kids are like, Mom, Dad, do not sign me up for the school. But um, but hmm. but kids signed up, and before I knew it, we had thousands of students on the waiting list. Wow. Wow. And we just, and we'll, as part of this podcast, we'll have the you know, the B-rolls, so uh, let's call it, of, of what we just shot over at the one of the campuses here in Austin. So the listener, you'll start to see, it's amazing to me, you're in the, the basement of a church to where it's coming today, or to where this particular campus was today, an old bowling alley, which I thought was pretty cool, that is um, beautiful. I mean, the way that, that um, it was, you know, I, I, it's been a long time since I was in middle school. This, was, this, was, this particular campus was a middle school that we first walked into. And my middle school wasn't like that. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't like that. It wasn't clean. It wasn't quiet. It, it was. It was. It was different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the level of focus of our students is crazy. But I was, you know, the the thing that always strikes me is, I mean, I've now we've got I've thousands of families over the year. I've gotten to know, um, mm -hmm. you know, especially the first five six years when I'm running Idea because I'm running the organization, but I'm also teaching full time and you know the full time fundraiser and principal and business manager. I mean, it was just crazy in the beginning. In the first year, how many other teachers could you? Did you, or you weren't the only teacher. No, we had we had we had twenty adults. Probably about half of them, half of us were teachers. The other half, you know, custodians, bus drivers, you know, cafeteria <clears throat> workers, that sort of thing. So it was about one hundred fifty kids and about twenty adults. And um and 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 you know that story told about the sales pitch we gave and how parents were signing up for it. Uh, to me, that's so important because people assume that low income kids are doing bad in school because their parents don't care, which actually is not the case. Mm. I, I mean, we we find kids all the time. And parents, they want the best for their kids, uh, but oftentimes they're just they're they're, they're trapped in low-performing schools. And um, the low-income schools typically get the crappiest teachers and the crappiest building and the crappiest the crappiest curriculum and the, I mean yeah. the crappiest everything. And then they get crappy scores, and people are like, "Oh, what's wrong with these low-income parents?" Mm -hmm. and it's like, no, I mean it is you know you got to build schools that are going to really challenge kids and uh, really demand a lot from them and. And, and they really do rise to the challenge. We were in one class today. Uh, you'll have to refresh my memory. Second graders. Well, the first class we walked into of second graders, there was it was their reading class. They were reading uh, mid-level third grade. And then we walked across the hall, and, and those second graders were reading at a fourth grade level. Yeah. I mean, that's just... And when I think of that, I'm like, okay, I have a first grader and a third grader. I mean, that's pretty dang humbling when you think about that. I mean, I was, you have to take a step back and not be me just walking around, but be the parent going, wow, that's legit. Uh, and as a result, um, last year, over 50,000 families applied to get into IDEA for wow. only, you know, eight or 9,000 slots. This year, I mean, we'll, we're still, I don't know, seven months away from next school year. We're already at over thirty-two thousand applicants, mm. and you know, right here in Austin, that that number is over ten thousand all across Texas. Well, plus Baton Rouge, we're opening up next year. You add it all up, and it's about it's about thirty-some thousand. So, um, you know, parents know if you don't get your kid in a great school, like they're basically screwed, right? Um, and you can't access the American dream if you're not in a great school. A lot of, I mean, schools should be like this ladder out of poverty, but oftentimes they're just another government institution that's kind of reinforcing. You know the existing kind of class yeah, status quo. Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, quo. when I look at those second graders that are reading at a fourth grade level and are standing up and, and bragging about it and talking about it and 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 excited about it, like you know, those kids, 
when I was when we were in the classroom, I was like, if that kid is on the east, you know, just at the regular, I don't know what other school here in Austin or any any other town. Because I, I always worked off the assumption that smart people are smart because they were born smart. But I think my view on that changed today because if those kids were in McAllen, you know, 30 years ago, when, you know, whenever you came onto the scene, they wouldn't be smart. Yeah. But it, 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 it's, it's a real testament to you and the teachers and the entire staff that it's just, it, it, they're, they're not born that way they they were taught that way and i I've, I've always shit i've always worked off the other the other assumption you know most people did i mean for years uh, people thought that iq was static it was you know you you either like you said smart or dumb but mm -hmm. what, what we've been able to show and there's a lot of emerging research that shows that intelligence is malleable it is malleable and it's it's completely connected to how hard you work right um you know i mean you're, you're an athlete you know yeah it takes a, a little bit of ability that's kind of what separates the super elite people, but man, you can get, I mean, I always say, you know, not everyone's gonna win a marathon, but but everybody could complete a marathon. Right. Yeah, maybe not everyone's gonna go to Stanford or Harvard, but all of our kids are gonna go off to college. Yeah. And so, and, and the, in fact, we got a lot of kids at Harvard and Stanford, so. Right, and um, we're gonna on, get to on, that. On top this, of that. This is a super cool part of the story. So now we've had, call it 18 years of IDA right. public school, and we're now 61 schools, 36,000 students, going to 173 schools and 100,000 students by 2022. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. I know that's some pretty crazy scale. I mean, that's, that's we got a lot, we got to, everything's got to, we have to really work it to get there, but yeah. but yeah. And to build the infrastructure, I get that the state pays the tuition. What do they pay for tuition, the state? Yeah, you know, we spend, we spend about 10,000 bucks per kid per year. Okay. I think about 8,000 of that comes from the state, about 1,000 comes from the feds, and about 1,000 comes from private just yeah, donations. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah. But to build the these schools, that com also comes from, I mean, obviously the state's not building the school, I don't, I don't think. Yeah. That comes from private donations. Yeah. When we built a school at the school you saw today, this old bowling, bowling alley that we renovated, mm -hmm. and then we, you know, and then we built a gym and all that sort of stuff. Um, we just issue bonds like everyone else does. Um, we build schools and mm -hmm. and uh, we use the bond you know proceeds to build the school and then uh, the revenue that's generated from the enrollment is how we pay back you know the bonds over the years. Hmm. So um, and explain because I think people well two things one of there there are, there are anti charter school people yeah which is you know if you look at these stats and you look at the fact that 100 percent of your kids are going to go off to college many of them to ivy league schools i'm not really sure how we can be against that um but there are those people and then but i think the other uh, assumption that a lot of people make is that uh it, it, it they're not clear on who funds yeah charter schools yeah versus a private school versus a public school yeah i mean as charter schools like i said we're we're, we're, we're our, our the name of our organization idea public schools right we're public schools publicly funded i mean our big advantage is that we're we're a non-profit corporation like you know what's called a 501c3 yep. as as, as as you obviously know very well um <laughs> but our big advantage is that we don't have an elected school board so i mean all of our board members they're they're donors they're supporters they're people like your wife who really care about it um so that allows us to do really big innovative crazy things that you just can't do when you have the churn and burn of an elected you know school board basically mm -hmm. So, and what about sports? What, what, you know, say for example, you have an idea of public school, high school. Yeah. Do they, and, but it, yet it's a, it's a public school. So do they play sports? Do they have a football team? Do they have a baseball team? Do they have a swim team? Yeah. Or, you, you know, so the, yes, the short answer is yes. And I'll tell you this little story. And do they play, sorry, do they play other charter schools or do they play other public schools? Both. Okay. Both. Um, and, and, and in some cases, actually, our students are playing. The absolute top athletes in the whole country and i'll give you an example you know soccer is huge in the rio grande valley yeah. i mean you know i mean huge i mean it's really getting huge everywhere in the u.s but mm -hmm. the valley is about 20 years ahead of where the rest of the u.s mm -hmm. is i mean um and there's a a a semi-pro team down in the valley called the toros and they're they're associated with the houston dynamo you know the mls team and my good they, friend's the owner there no, no kidding yeah gabrielle brenner oh yeah fantastic yeah well, wonderful man well a plus he'll love the story okay. because he basically because of him putting the toros down in the valley um along with some other valley folks as well um they have this they, they have this little junior 
you know, kind of 15, 16, 17-year-old soccer team. Yeah, like a select team. Like a select team. But um, they were having a really hard time figuring out how to do the whole education piece of it, and they couldn't get any school districts to do it. So a buddy of mine who's president of it um, down there said, hey, Tom, you know, can, can you help us get through to these districts, these school districts? And I said, no, like, like we'll do it. So we've got about 200 students now who are these amazing soccer athletes, boys and girls. And then they're also in our school that we created just for these soccer students. And um, when they're in Florida at the ING tournament, which is like, right, you know, the this, best. This sounds like a tennis academy. Yeah, so the teachers go with the kiddos mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, they're doing soccer. Um, but then they're also getting all their studies done. So, um, wow. and last year, small, we started small last year. It was the first year we had, we had 13 seniors and every single one got a, got a, got a, an athletic scholarship, um, really? which was just, I mean, another great story. I mean, come on, a hundred percent of your kids getting athletic scholarships. Like nobody's doing that in the state of Texas. And, um, it's pretty amazing. I've uh, got a couple of kids about air force Academy. Wow. You know, through that program, and it's it's been I've been really impressed by these young men and women, huh. but but our other schools all have you know sports as well. Yeah, wow. And then why would somebody? What's what do you, what do you say if if somebody's anti charter school? Yeah. Well, you know, um, school dis- maybe anti is not the right word, but no, but, pe- people are totally anti charter school. I got to tell you, like school districts have had a really sweet deal for the past hundred years. They've basically had a total monopoly. Mm. Um, I mean, I guess if you could afford private school, then you could opt out of the public school system. But otherwise, I mean, you're the only game in town. I mean, you're like the way the post office was before FedEx and, and UPS came along. Mm. And We're not allowed to talk about the postal service on here. Yeah, right. Well, I'm, um, ki- I'm kidding. We can talk about but, it. But, no, I got but, you. But, you know, that, that's... Um, so, obviously, districts don't like charters because all of a sudden now they got to compete. they got to up their game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and not only that, but... Like I said, with 50,000 kids who applied idea, there's tens of thousands of families who are not getting in. And now those parents are going to the school district that they're zoned to, and they're beating down the doors of the principal and the superintendent and the school board. And they're saying, I can't get my kid in this idea school, so this school's got to improve. Mm-hmm. You know, look at their test scores. Look right. at these crappy scores. Look at how all those kids are getting great, right. you know, high school counseling and going off to college. And, and my kid's getting nothing. So, I mean, that is part of our strategy is, I mean, we actually want districts to improve. We want them to get better because when schools improve, kids win. And that's basically what, 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 what we're all about, what I'm all right. about. Right. I love how it was, it's all color coded. So there, obviously there's, call it uniforms, call it, you know, whatever. Uh, the sixth graders were red, or at least at, at the Runberg campus, red. And then the seventh graders were kind of a burnt orange. And then the eighth graders blue, I guess that's standard throughout. Just yeah. keeps it. I, yeah. I love my older daughters, the twins, Grace and Isabel, um, went to a private school for middle school and, and they had uniforms and they, you know, at first they hated the idea, but then they ended up being like, this is one less thing I have to think about. And they don't, it, it eliminates the drama of, you know, wearing some sort of, not that your kids are out there trying to, yeah. probably not, you know. But look, I mean, it's also, I mean, it's part of a sense of identity, part of team. Like, yeah. You look at any profession, and they got their uniforms. I mean, you know, you had your uniform that you wore. I mean, one of our one of our board members, David Robinson. I mean, you know, he proudly wore the Spurs uniform for a long time. Yeah. Any world class organization has a uniform. I mean, even like IBM. Like, I mean, they were famous for their you know, they called Big Blue. They were famous for kind of the blue pinstripe suits and white shirts and ties that that, that their people would wear. So, is the same thing? Like, I, I want for our students to wear that shirt with pride and be like, "Yeah, I, I earned that. I, I earned my slot here, and I'm really proud to be an idea student." Yeah. Do they have to? I mean, how did? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, if you have thirty-two thousand people already on the, how did, how does somebody? I mean, do you have to write an essay? Do you have to have a have a a great story? Do you have to know somebody? I mean, how yeah, so, so how do you pick them? You know, um, because we're trying to shake things up. Um, I knew that if we had a selection process, the first thing that districts would say is, well, of course, ideas hitting out of the park because, you know, they're just, they're creaming. They're, they're just getting they're the very, very best. They're recruiting. But uh, actually, we just had our lottery last week, okay, and so it's, it's a blind lottery system, so it's completely random. So the kid with straight A's has the same chance of getting in as the kid who uh, maybe has a parole officer and uh, is a ninth grader for the fourth consecutive year. Right. So, you know, I mean, equal shots. So, um, and, and what we're trying to show is, like you said, 
It's not about who our kids are. It's about how hard they work. And that's right. what's going to make the difference. You should write a book. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I'll work on it. Have you, you've, you've thought about it. Yeah, you know, it, I, I, you don't I, have to write it. Somebody else will write it for you. <laughs> Maybe you've got some names you can give me. People who can help you, me out with is, that. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Well, what about politics? What about politics? Well, I mean, I'm listening yeah. to you and watching you, and I've watched, I've seen you at multiple events on stage behind the mic. I saw you interacting with adults and children alike today. And, and I think if, I mean, obviously you're busy now. Yeah. Has that ever crossed your mind? Well, you entering know, into politics. Yeah, we don't need to have a, a discussion about. No, politics, I got you, man. Especially I got you. now, I got you. Um, it's interesting you say that because, like I said, when I was at Georgetown, my plan was to one day one, run for the U.S. Senate, but because everything that we're doing is so publicly financed, um, I mean, we just got a big bill passed that made a big difference for us, and it took us 15 years to get it passed. And having seen basically. What it, and you know this, I mean, you get that, that moonshot cancer mm -hmm. thing passed a decade ago. Mm -hmm. um, it was very unusual how quickly you made it happen. Um, having seen the pace of it, I'm like, I'm making so much more of a difference doing what I'm doing now on the outside than I could if I were an elected official. So I'm, I'm, I'm totally happy with the role I'm playing. I think that's right. I think I think you're, well. I, I know that I know what you just said is right. That you're yeah. making a much bigger difference. If you were a politician, you never would have been able to get that cancer thing passed. Yeah. It was your ability. You know, I mean, you had celebrity going for you and all that sort of mm -hmm. stuff. But but you know, outside people, I think that's where all the action is. Well, not, and that's why, yeah, and that's why I've intentionally uh, not ever uh, aligned with a party or a candidate or any politician because, for example, with uh, Prop 15. Um, as the, as the figurehead of it, or as the leader of it, or the face of it, rather, um, you know, I needed votes. Yeah, I, I needed the voters to vote for a cancer initiative, and and if that voter goes in, um, and 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 as a Republican and says, "Well, this guy's a, I can't, I'm not voting for that. He's a Democrat." You know, I lose half my votes. So, yeah, I mean, that's. A, but with that, I now I hear you. I mean, with with the passage of that. We did a lot more good than it, than I could ever do being, uh, you know, a mayor or a, a congressman or or whatever. Oh, was that was like a billion and a half for cancer research? Some crazy number like that. It's three billion. Oh my god, three billion. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, <laughs> and it keeps. Um, and you know the cool thing about not that we're not here to talk about me, but the cool thing about um, what it created was called CEPRT, so the Cancer Prevention Research Institute of Texas. What it did for cities like Houston and hospitals like MD Anderson or UT Southwestern in Dallas, I mean, they are recruiting the best of the best. So they may be in, they may be at Duke, they may be at Sloan Kettering. They're all coming to Texas because we have this, this, yeah, this windfall that uh, it's, it's pretty. That that when I look at when I look back on that, that was it wasn't easy to get it passed, but it worked. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about you mentioned David Robinson. I, I'm I'm a first well, pack up. Everybody's a fan of David Robinson. It's Everybody. Like, I mean, you can't you show me a David Robinson hater, and I'm gonna tell you that the world is flat. Yes. Like he's just the nicest dude. He was, you know, has this story from the Air Force Academy and and you know, was clean cut and and, and a badass on the court and but he's been a big supporter of, of y'all. Big supporter, you know, he and called a, and me. a close friend of yours. Yeah, we, we um we in 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 2012 I got a phone call out of the blue, and it was from David Robinson, mm -hmm. and he's in he told me the story of this great school that he had founded, and um, he asked me to come visit it, and I was blown away on the east side of San Antonio. Um, he spent about 20 million dollars of his own money to build this beautiful school is and if you're from texas you know this architecture firm called lake flato sure. you know so lake flato designed this they, they did they did they did the live strong, they did live strong. Yes. so they did this school i mean he spared no expenses this beautiful school on the east side in the shadow of the alamo dome and he said i want a school that inspires this community and um he had a sliding scale for tuition so the less you made the less you paid the you know wealthy parents paid full freight and um, he'd scaled it up to about 110 students. His own children went there. You know, they're they're grown now. Um, well, the youngest one's a junior at Duke University. Mm. And um, but it wasn't a sustainable business model. I mean, he and his wife Valerie were writing, you know, seven-figure checks every year. And I mean, 
you know, very few people can can do that for 40, 50 years continuously. Right. Especially have an annual gala to make up some of it, but then he'd have to... Exactly. He, yeah. So he, he called me, I think originally, I sort of forget the details now, but I think originally he wanted me to advise him on how he might go about changing from a private school to a charter school. And, um, you know, he came down to the Rio Grande Valley, you know, down to McAllen. Mm -hmm. um, his mom <laughs> came down with him. His father came down with him. All three of them toured our schools. And, um, I mean, there was just such such chemistry but just total alignment and values and like what we all thought was important and at some point david just turned to me and said why don't you just take over the carver academy this the school that he started carver academy and i said david i'll do it but you got to stay involved um and i i i knew that if david was just involved with that one little school you know he might get a little frustrated with changes that were being made so i needed to get him excited about this big vision so in 2012 uh, we announced that we were going to do 20 schools in a five-year period, and we just opened the 20th school last <laughs> year. And I mean, it's and a lot of that is because because of David. And um, you know, when 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 David tells people this is a good program, I believe in it. I'm putting my energy behind it. I mean, people really believe. Well, in it. San Antonio, I mean, David Robinson could you know walk into the bank with a gun and be like, "Yo, I'm going to take a couple thousand. They're like, "Okay." <laughs> I mean, he's 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 his reputation is that impeccable well i'll tell you a brief little story about that david and i were walking from one building to another and um it was three blocks away we said let's just walk it was a beautiful day in san antonio and i mean all these all these cars you know start pulling over you know admiral we love you yeah. and this one lady's walking her dog and she's like we take a selfie so she had me take a we're not a selfie she had me take a picture and she's like we hold this for me and i what the dog I, I i had to hold the bag of dog poop Gross. Uh, and take the picture of this woman and uh, and and David. Everybody loves David in San Antonio for for very good reason. So that's how we got to twenty schools in San Antonio. It's been pretty great. Yeah. That's... You guys were just in New York. We were. That's... Yeah. He had never yeah. heard it. You what you were telling me earlier. You, his son plays for Duke, so you went to the Duke game, and then you, to return the favor, I think you said you wanted to take him to Hamilton, and he said, "What's well, what's that?" I sent him. Yeah. Uh, you know. Don't ever do something fun with me because it's gonna be boring. So I sent him a couple of weeks ago this 800 pound, this 800 page rather book uh, that Hamilton's based on, and I said, David, a little light reading for you before we see the musical. And uh, yeah, it was amazing. So uh, my kids are all real young, real little kids, and his kids are all grown. But we all got together, we watched Hamilton. The next day, we went and saw the Duke game, and uh, and you know, he and his wife did a great job raising those three boys. They're what does he spectacular. do? What does he do? Uh like at a basketball game like i when i watch my kids in their sports like i don't i mean i i don't i just kind of stay out of it right i mean obviously cheer and say good job but like i don't i don't get critical or oh you should have done, you know what, what does the admiral do with his kids you know you need to have a podcast with david and, okay. and he can come tell you that but um but i i know you get i'm sorry you get the parent that's that's aggro and like i'm like bro chill how does he handle it he, um, you know, Coach K had him in the locker room last year, and um, after the, one of the games or before one of the games, I forget the details. But you know, it was basically David, just uh, not one thing he told these young men was about basketball. It was all about how to be a better man, a better mm -hmm. person, you know, a better husband at some point, a better son. Um, I mean, that just um, and you could, every time you talk with David, I mean, you. You just leave on cloud nine that can go take on the world. I mean, he's like one of the most inspiring people I've ever met before. Yeah, you know, he's. I I first met him in Hawaii. Oh God, this is six or seven years ago. He had a. I don't know if he still has a place there or not, but he he discovered this this neighborhood uh, via Michael and Susan Dell, and he was there, or his him and his family were there with them. So that just completes the triangle because Michael and Susan are big supporters of Ideas That's School right. here in Austin. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you knew that or not, but they're 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 pretty tight. I wasn't else. aware of that. Yeah, I'll yeah. I'll, I'll I'll tell you the story about. To ask the, the admiral. He's yeah. He'll, yeah very, I'll ask very him. Close. I, I guess I'm gonna ask him next time I see him. But the story of the Dells is just too good. Well, it, 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 the um, so it's it, I mean, it's 2005. You know, by this time I'm I'm, I'm in my late 20s. We still just had one school. I mean. I, we had no system for anything. I mean, we had thousands of of, of, of of stacks of paper of kids who were, you know, applying and who were on wait lists, and we just couldn't even keep track of them anymore. Mm. And I'm still, you know, teaching half the day and, and doing all that stuff. Um, and and then, 
And I thought, man, we all these kids want to get in. We got to open up more schools. Um, and I got a phone call from uh, Bill Gates, and he said, you know, my wife and I have started a foundation, which is a little crazy because now they're pretty much synonymous with it. But you know, this is 10, 12 years ago. And, um, and he said, we started a foundation, we've done our research, and your school is getting some of the best results in America. We want to help you grow. So I put a little application together or wrote a letter and sent it off for them. And his people called me back and they said, you know, when Mr. Gates called you, he really wanted you to dream big. Um, and I thought they were going to call and yell at me for being a greedy bastard and asking for too much money, right? right. And they're like, this is way too small. Um, like we wanted a big, big, big request. So he actually sent this team of experts down to help us put together this business plan. And, um, and, and you know, he and his wife very generously um, funded a big part of that plan. Um, but then he also got us in touch with the Dells. And, um, you know, Michael and Susan Dell, I, 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 don't, I, I should know this. I think Michael and Susan may have actually given even more, you know, through their foundation mm -hmm. than, 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 than the Gateses gave. And that was just like this whole new world for us because all of a sudden, you know, we could, we could never grow or expand or, you know, it takes a lot of, you know, training and systems and processes. And we were on a real shoestring budget and we were in the Rio Grande Valley. So it's not like we're in New York City or Austin where we're going to, yeah. you know, raise a lot of money to gala or something. Yeah. Um, right. But but they really, really helped us accelerate our growth. Huh. Um, and, and, you know, fast forward, I mean, this year we're hiring a thousand employees. You told I me mean, that when it, we were touring. It, so, it, and I, I mean... 17 years ago 18 years ago i never would have thought that we'd be where we are today i know when we were walking around there i was like you know we'd walk into the classrooms i mean so i assume, i worked off the assumption also that all the teachers knew who you were but these kids i was like hey tom do you think this kid knows who you are my my bet is they're like who who are these people that just walked in unless yeah. unless there's pictures in their books or or they watch a video or but you're like i hope so <laughs> But just back to the Dells real quick, a shout out to them. They are so damn generous. I mean, besides your stuff, I mean, the new medical school, they funded the children's hospital, they funded the children's uh, museum. Um, just incredibly generous. Yeah. I mean, well, and, you know, I think, I don't know this is known yet. I might be making some news right here on your, on, on your show, on your podcast. Um, they actually... We like when people do that. Well, they've, they've um, we're opening up a... A high school that's a a, a pre-medical high school and it's going to be right here in austin wow and uh, we've already raised nearly 20 million dollars for it and um, the dells kicked in about a million of that i think and it's going to be associated with you know the dell medical school and you know dell children's and sort of all that so i'm really really under excited. the idea brand under the idea brand oh and what's interesting about this is almost all of our schools serve you know, we're at about 85, 90% low income population. I mean, but some of our schools are at 99% low income. Mm -hmm. um, but this is going to be a much more diverse by design school, you know, uh, socioeconomically diverse, racially diverse. I mean, when I look around the U.S., I think we got to do a better job of getting people from all walks of life kind of running into each other like every single day, like right. for like 12, 13 years straight. Um, that's part of the challenge we have in the U.S. is you can just kind of go your whole life and your whole, whole day without ever having to deal with anybody in a different economic bracket. Oh, buddy! I mean, look at uh, you know when you just look at Austin. I mean, look at oh yeah when you know when well all across the country when they started busing kids from the poor side to the wealthy side so that they could go to better schools, et cetera. You know, you see what happens. I mean, that's where my my kids go to Westlake High School. My older kids, yes, which is part of the Ean School District. Yep which was, for lack of a better way to say it, was white flight. Yeah. That's how Eanes became what, that's why Westlake, they, they're like, oh, let's move out to the hills, and we're going to, I mean, it's crazy. And your, now, private, it's a, and your private school tuition basically just built into your mortgage. <laughs> so it's a public school. You just got to, you and know. It's, and it, it is, I will say, it's a mortgage. great school. Yeah, but it's, it is. But it's a white school. Yeah. Yeah. But these kids that you... Uh, first met right the hundred some odd of them in, in 2000 your first class right how many of them do you keep in touch with do you mean you follow these people that i mean they must be i don't know how old they must be now but do you keep in touch with any of them uh, so they yes we do um we actually have a, a lot of them working with us right now wow. um i mean they're and they're really all over the country um this first this first group of students so there are only about 35 of them and they graduated in 2007 and um, every single one of them applied to college and they all 
were accepted to college. And then a few months after graduating, 100% of them uh, enrolled for the first day of their freshman year. And since 2007, what would that be, 12, 12 graduating classes now, 11 graduating classes? Um, for all but two of those years, we've had the 100% matriculation. Um, in fact, last year, we didn't. But uh, that young woman actually enrolled this past month. So I'm going to count that as 100%. Wow, so she, she did take a semester off. Slacker. Slacker, slacker. She uh, went like did a walkabout, you know, Australian but, style or something. But Lance, I got to tell you, it's pretty crazy. So like you and Anna's, like your your children, um, they've got a 98% chance of graduating college if they show up for the first day of their freshman year. 98%. Low-income kids. Is that right? Yep. Kids who are from the bottom income quartile, that means your, your parents make 35000 or less. Um, they're graduating at a 9% rate. And all these people out there saying, hey, the world needs ditch diggers and college isn't for everybody. And I'm like, all right, how about your white kids? Are we going to have white ditch diggers? I mean, is that what you're talking about? I mean, when people say that sort of stuff, they always mean other people's kids. Right. It's like college right, college for me, but not for thee. So, um, I mean, it, it, it just, it, 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 it is one of those things. It, it's such a fixable problem. Yeah. Like we have shown that when you demand a lot from young people, like they'll give it to you. So if you just looked at, and because I, I believe that you know the answer to this. If you looked at just the education system slash infrastructure slash problem issue in America, what is the single biggest thing you, if you were the superintendent of America's schools, what would you do? Um, and maybe maybe there's two or three things, but I, I mean, there's a couple things. Um, number one, you need a badass principal leading every single school. Okay. I mean, and and it just and and they're not born, they're they're made, mm. and and I mean we do I'll put a lot of training. We get these really exceptional leaders, a lot of young leaders, a lot of young people in the early thirties, late twenties, running schools for us, and they're doing a really exceptional job. So that's number one. And the reason they're important is because they're they're a magnet for talent. They find really great teachers, mm -hmm. and I mean they do whatever it takes to keep them. So that's number two is is just making sure that we've got a great teacher in every single classroom. So what do we do? We, we pay our best teachers more than our lower performing teachers. Yeah, um, shocking what teachers make. You know, and, and, and I mean, we, we, we paid out, you know, eight million bucks in bonuses last year, which is like, oh, big deal. Companies do it all the time. Yeah, but we're a public school and we pay bonuses based on performance, um, which is like revolutionary. So you say like, why do people hate charter schools? It's, you know, stuff like this, um, you know, just trying to shake up the system a little bit. Mm -hmm. So principals, number one, teachers, number two. And number three is, I mean, hard work you have got to just make kids bust their ass every single day that they're in school and that brings me to number four no one's going to work hard every single day if they don't have a goal it's just drudgery so we, we work really hard with families and students to help them try to envision who they want to be and like we, we're going to break that down into you know weekly goals monthly goals quarterly goals annual goals and there's gonna be lots of talk about how you're progressing there um because if you don't have that little spark i mean you know, education can just be really, really, really dreadful. So we, we met one of the kids uh, just a little while ago that, that talked about his goals. And, and at, the, at least at the middle school we walked through, they incentivized them with with stuff, right? So I forget what he got when he met yeah, goal one. He, he got, got to wear a black hoodie. So that's, that was like, goal three. Because no that's, one's allowed to wear hoodies. Oh, yeah, right, right, yeah. And right, the, I forget three. the fellow's name who walked us around. He was like, I... I the principal or whatever he said, I hate hoodies, but these kids—that's what they wanted as their as their preem, so to speak. Yeah. And I, I don't remember what they got for the first goal. Second goal was a, a cool pair of socks, and then the third goal, dude, was the black hoodie. The black hoodie. They'll do anything for a black hoodie. Yeah. And that principal's name's Taylor. And I have um, amnesia. You know, but another example—I I mean, of how we do things differently. I mean, he was a, a miserable. UT Austin law student right. who said, man, this isn't for me. Like, I don't work with kids. And, um, you know, we, we, we spotted that talent right away and said, this guy's got to be running a school for us. Mm. So Crazy. Well, how do you handle some of these, you know, and in the, in, in this, this, this is where I do get political because I just, I, I can't, I, I just can't stand it. But there's, you know, it, in the education system, especially here in the state of Texas, there are controversial things. For example, evolution versus creation the yep. debate in and around that what goes in the textbook what doesn't go in the textbook you know i have very strong 
views on that as a parent and as just a person. How does how does your crew handle things like that? Yeah. Man, I mean, all these hot button issues, you know, um, is it going to be, you know, monolingual, dual language, English only, you know, creationism versus evolution, where the kids going to go to the bathroom and we're going to have like transgender, like it just, it just um, like those, those, those issues never, ever, ever come up. I mean, our kids are on a mission. Our teachers are on a mission. Our, our principals are on a mission. They don't have time for any of that BS. I mean, Mm -hmm. they just really don't, you know? And um, so that's probably the best way I can answer that question. (laughs) <laughs> but the the textbooks are still issued by the state of Texas, or you guys have a whole different set of textbooks? Yeah, I mean, there's probably some textbooks in a cupboard somewhere, but it's just it's, it's different these days, man. Yeah. It's just like, uh, you know, our our best teachers, you know, it's 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 books, not textbooks. There's a lot of different, you know, hmm. books our kids are reading, but um, but but yeah. And these kids are cranking out like what, the one discussion about how many words. I, mean, I never even heard this my whole life. Like, I don't read books, which is one problem. Probably why I've never heard of it. Well, you them. write them. I, somebody else writes them for me. And I, you know, I, talk about, I talk about these things, and then somebody writes it down. But, the, you know, these, these kids trying to get to the a point where they've read a million words. Yeah. You, so, you know, like, those seven books in Harry Potter, that's, that, that's about a million words, that, okay. that, that whole series. So we have these second graders. I mean, they're on this. They're trying to read a million words this year, um, which, which is crazy. And, like, all the research shows... I mean, it's just like cycling. You want to be a cyclist? You better get on the bike a lot nice. longer. You want to be better at basketball? Better shoot a lot more hoops. Want to be a better reader? You just got to read a shit ton of books. So that's what we have our kids doing. So words equals miles. Yeah, that's right. Um, one other thing that came up today uh, when we were walking around was this issue of ice. And, yeah. And obviously, we've we've said it. You know, most of your popular students or student population is is Hispanic. And, you know, some are here either legally or, or illegally, um, you know. But there was one episode, and we can and are not talk about it, either one, but where ICE had come for this family. Yeah. And you guys, you know, were, were largely supportive of them. Uh, I mean, our... Very supportive. The, the, the courts have been clear on this. Um, I think that basically... Um, churches and civil liberties groups have been have been pretty clear on this as well um people in the united states who are school age they deserve a high quality free education you know period paragraph page so that's our responsibility we're not law enforcement um i mean we're not a police agency we we have no business at all inquiring about anybody's um you know legal status Mm. um and traditionally um, for for dozens of dozens of years, both parties have said that uh, schools and hospitals are off limits. Um, you know, we need for people to be able to turn to these institutions. So unfortunately, you know, things have gotten a little bit you know crazy. But I'll, I'll, I'll tell you an example of this young man right now. Um, well, at the beginning of the story, I'll tell you. So this 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 boy is born in Matamoros, which is the border town across from Brownsville. It's in Mexico. Right. Super and, violent. And he's actually living in an orphanage. And um, he hears that he has an aunt who lives in Brownsville. So he, he busts out of the orphanage one night, and he crosses the Rio Grande. Um, I mean, he literally is, you know, walking across, wading across at a point, swimming across. And he's doing this with his two-year-old little brother on his shoulders. <laughs> and he gets to the U.S. But hang on, to, to, a, to a, an aunt that may not exist. To an aunt that may not exist. Right. So he gets to Brownsville. He finds this aunt who's got her own issues that she's got to deal with. Somehow he finds his way to our school, comes in as an eighth grader, not speaking a lick of English. And by his senior year, his entire, you know, course, his, his whole schedule is full of advanced placement AP courses, which are like the hardest classes you can take. Right. I mean, you, you got a kid who's a senior right now, you know this. Um, and uh, he's, I don't know, he's two months away from graduation and he's driving to McDonald's where he has his part-time job, you know, just trying to help the family that make ends meet. And he gets pulled over, and um, and and the police officer says he was speeding or something. Where's your driver's license? I don't have a license. Why not? Because I'm here illegally. They get customs immigration on the phone. They come, so they put this kid, the 17 year old, a senior. They put him in a, in a detention center, and his teachers are shuttling homework to him. You know, back and forth every day. We get some good legal help for the kid. We 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 you know bust him out of that out of that detention center. He graduates and you know go, goes off to A and M. 
Um, it's just these amazing, you know, stories like this. So, um, again, I, I just, I, I mean, our country is better because the most motivated people from other countries are the ones who come over here. And they're the ones who generation mm -hmm. after generation, you know, kind of make the American dream dreamers. possible. Yeah, dreamers. Dreamers, exactly. Dreamers. Dreamers. There we go. I'm, I'm, I don't care what you said 20 minutes ago. I'm, I'm not ever going to believe that you're not running for U.S. Senate. What you just said, who doesn't vote for that? I know, I know what you said also, I could do better, but, but, but you're going to have, this thing's going to get set up, going to be rolling. You'll have time. Just whatever. You don't have to say anything else. We be my running mate? No. You don't, <laughs> you don't want my baggage on your ticket. So if that, and that is an amazing story, that young man. What's, what's a, there's got to be some awful stories. You know, there's got to be some sad, really sad stories with these families. Yeah. I mean, um, oh, I mean, my gosh, yeah. like every family. And that doesn't, that, 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 that is not income bracket or race or geography related right i mean um i mean some of our kids who i think have the biggest challenges i, I mean you know, my my kids go to our schools you know my, my wife's a physician cool. i got this job that i have but i mean and 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 i mean on a bad day one my, my, my one of my children i won't say which one can be one of those horror stories i mean he really gives those teachers a run for their money but i mean um i see a lot of very affluent kids actually um, having some of the biggest problems mm. because what they want more than anything is time, time with mom and dad. And that's what they're not getting. Mm. You know, they're getting the material stuff. You know, they got the newest, latest phone or whatever they got on the technology, but um, they're not getting time. Mm. And uh, when, you, when you don't get time from your mom and your dad, um, every little thing that happens on social media, it's magnified times a thousand yeah. because that's your your sense of who you are as a person. So I, my, my wife and I run this all the time. Like we, we man, we just got it. We got to spend more time with our kids, more time with our kids, more time with yeah, our they, kids. Yeah, they, and I believe it to be true. They say that the three as a parent, and I guess it really doesn't matter the age, obviously the start the younger the better, but the three most important things you can do for your children and for your family is, um, and this was you know, reported, I, I tend to believe it was, have dinner as a family, read as a family, and some sort of a spiritual yeah. experience as a family. Yeah. But that's all about everybody being together, mom and dad being there with, with you know, girl and boy and, and the whole fam. And it's harder than ever because now even when families are together, they're just kind of occupying the same space oh because God. of these devices. Did, did, did Anna it's, call you? It's, it's tough. It's tough. She, the other day, I thought we had a great dinner, and the next day she's like, you know, I just wish, you know, for once, you just wouldn't look at your phone during dinner, and I didn't, we're so immune to it. Like, oh, I, I, did, I didn't know I looked at my phone. I probably looked at it fifty times. Yeah, we're, I'm an idiot. That it's it's look, it's not just you. It is the technology, man. Yeah, I mean, I they they it's it's um they've they've wired it to make us like that. Well, there's a big pushback on that. I I can't believe how much press there is now about people insisting, not wanting, but insisting that these folks like Apple or Samsung or whoever, that these devices are just less addictive. It's, well, there's a real movement. We have worked as hard as we can to make our school, this is kind of countercultural and almost like doesn't make mm -hmm. sense. We're trying to make our schools as free as technology as possible. Hmm. Um, with the exception of the you know one hour a day when they're in the computer lab doing whatever. But I, I mean, you know, we want our kids to write out notes. I mean, you remember things better when you write it out versus right, typing it. Right. We we um we want our kids to have to be able to you know talk and argue and debate and do oral presentations and yep. we want them to be 100% focused on the other humans in the room um, yeah. and it's it's getting harder and harder than ever but it's also giving our kids our students an idea more of an advantage than ever because if you have the ability to concentrate and focus for 60 90 120 minutes straight. Oh my gosh. Which I don't. I mean, you are going to, as a student from our suit, you're going to have a huge advantage in everybody else. I mean, that's just um, the ability to concentrate for long periods of time on one task. That's 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 a pretty good recipe no, for success that, that right was, there. That was never my strength, Tom. Well, you've been doing pretty good here over the last 45 minutes. I know because you're interesting, but if, if, if you know, there's, there's the, well, I won't say that, but the, you know, there's times where I'm, I'm not just like, I'm kind of swimming around up here. 
Yeah. And you got an Iron Man coming up. Let's talk about that. Shit, I almost oh. forgot. Half Iron Man. Half Iron Man. Half. I've done three fulls. Oh, um, I didn't and, know that. And um, you know, my first one was in Vegas. My last one was in Canada. My fastest one was Iron Man Texas. I did it in ten hours. Not too bad, but That's I mean, good. I mean, you're like a you know eight hour Iron Man. So. I never did an Iron Man. Well, I I know your time. I did Galveston seventy point three the same year. You did it one time. And uh, you were an hour or two ahead of me. It was pretty amazing. It was that was the moment, and we talked about this before we went on the air here. But I struggled so much with uh, hydration and nutrition. I, I couldn't get the balance down, and uh, Galveston was was so miserable. I had so my gut issue was so bad that I said, "All right, I have to do I have to do something completely different." So instead of I was working off the assumption that I'm going to go as hard as I can for four hours. I'm burning a bunch of calories so I can eat. I can eat, 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 which is what we did when we raced. Um, that doesn't work. That doesn't work at all. And so my gut was just exploding. And not literally, but... Um, and so I turned right back around the very next week. And I was like, okay, I have to go test something else. So I went to Florida for the Half Iron Man near yeah. Orlando. And I said, I'm not going to eat anything. So as opposed to eating a lot, small breakfast nothing in the race i might have had one honey stinger waffle a couple bites on a honey stinger waffle on the bike and when i got to the run i had a gel in my in t2 just in case uh -huh. that i had in my hand but i never i never used it never ate it and that was it i mean it, and, and how'd you feel oh my god i mean I, I was fifth out of the water two hours flat on the bike and um uh one uh 115 on the run that's, that's a real good run yeah, yeah one by 10 minutes wow I was like, you know, uh, okay, I so, think I figured it out. But so this is crazy. So like, why? What is it about the physiology of Ironmaning that's different from the physiology of like when you're on the bike for five or six because hours? Because we're straight? going. The, the 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 truth is that in the in the tour, right? For example, yeah. if you do two thousand five hundred miles, very few of those miles are you going heart rate wise. You'd be yeah, surprised. Right. I mean, th those five six hour days where they're rolling through the French countryside. Yeah, there are days where you're pegged for five hours. Very rare. Yeah. Most of the time, it's four hours. Of, you're on Zone the wheel. Zone two in the heart rate. Oh, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So you low can, heart rate. when your heart rate is low, lower, you can eat. Oh. But, you know, if you're doing a half or a full, your heart rates, I mean, those halves I was doing, my heart rate was probably 170s. Yeah. So I it's mean, just you're your stomach on the verge of the red line. Yeah, the whole your time. stomach's not, not thinking about digesting all this crap you're putting into it. Huh. Yeah, I know. But as I told you before, also before we came on here, this kid, this Brownlee kid, in Dubai the other day, first out of the water, 158 on the bike and 109 on the run. That, I mean, that's, that, that, that's sick. That's, that's insane. superhuman. Wow. wow. I'm, I'm glad I'm sitting across from you and, and not next to him as a 46-year-old getting my ass completely kicked. All right, last question. Yeah. It's my new question. Okay. 18, I ask everybody. What keeps you up at night? Um... Oh gosh, what keeps me up at night? Jeez. Um, you know, I, th 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 it's it's my three kids. Yeah. You know, I mean, um, it, not it, that they're making noise. It's it's um, you know, we're putting all this. I'm putting all this energy into building this. I think amazing organization that's changing lives, tens of thousands of kids at a time. And then at the back of my mind, I was like, "But am I doing a good, good enough job with the three kids under my roof?" Mm -hmm. And um, on a good day, my answer is yes. But you know, uh, as an educator, and my wife's a physician for kids, um, I always like, "Man, we should be better at this than we are." <laughs> I don't think that's. It's, fair. I don't think that's fair to say. <laughs> well, there's no perfect answer there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I never try to answer my own question, but I, but if I did, it would, it has to be in and around your kids and. And what you know could potentially happen to them. I, I, my, our kids are also healthy, as as are yours, I'm sure. But what if they're not? Yeah, like that's the thing that uh, I, I would be. You'd have to mop me out of the room. I just couldn't couldn't handle it. Yeah. All right, buddy. Good luck right. with everything. It's been but fun. You, you got a big uh, four years, man. You got to get. We have to get uh, 110, 112 more schools built. And 64,000 more students. Yeah. Can I come back on in four years and tell you how we did? Well, I already know how. You, I know you're going to do it, but you can come back on <laughs> and tell us what it was like when you went and did it. Cool. Yeah. All Thanks, right. buddy. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely.
Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Forward Podcast. Like I said at the top of the show, any suggestions or questions, send me an email. The new one, the forward at wedo.team. And we do is spelled W-E-D-U. The forward at wedo.team. Thanks for tuning in each and every week. Look forward to talking to you next week.